You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So, many of you know that um, some years ago, I used to be a landscaping assistant. And this was a role that I got to fulfill in high school and college. It was a great job. It, it, it not only paid well, but it got me outside. And, um, you know, I, I like to work. I like to do physical labor. And there was plenty of that. That's all landscaping is, is, is hard work. And I was part of a three-man crew. So we weren't very big, but we were very busy. We had a contract with a... Um, uh, a developer for a subdivision, and so we put in every yard of that, of every home that went into that subdivision. But there were those occasional times when we would get a job that was a private job, and I remember distinctly in this season, this was the biggest um, yard replacement job we had ever ever gotten. So we plowed up, tilled up this yard, and and then began to lay this sod. And it was thousands and thousands of square feet of sod. It took us several days to lay all this sod with it just being three of us. But when we were done, and that was one of the gratifying things about landscaping was we had completely transformed this yard and really this home. It was beautiful. And so a couple weeks went by, and my landscaping boss gets a phone call from the owner of this yard that we had just done a couple, couple weeks previously. And he says, my grass is dying. And that was not an uncommon phone call for us to get because people would forget to water it because new lawns need a ton of water or they'd forget to stay off it. You really can't walk on it until the lines begin to fill in from the various pieces of sod, what have you. So he went through this checklist with this customer. Okay, are you watering it? Yeah, every day. Yeah, okay. Are you staying off it? Yeah, okay. And he went through some other protocols and his yard was dying. And so my boss went out there the next day to assess for himself what was going on, and literally thousands and thousands of square feet, all this new grass we had just put in was dying. And it turned out what had happened was an enemy of this guy had come in the middle of the night and had sprayed Roundup over all the grass. Now, Roundup is a non-discriminating herbicide. If it's green, it'll kill it. And that's what happened. This yard was dying. And we enter into this parable now where Jesus will tell a very similar story. He'll tell this story of this farmer who is asleep and an enemy comes and instead of spraying Roundup everywhere, because I don't think they had that 2,000 years ago, what he does do is he sows weeds all throughout this man's field of wheat. And Jesus will use this story to begin to help us understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, most of us are not farmers, I would assume. Most of us are not from an agrarian background. So there is one important distinction we need to understand as we dive into this story. And remember, parables were stories Jesus would tell that were simple stories that taught a spiritual truth or truths about him and about the kingdom of God. And so in this story, he talks about weeds and wheat. And the weeds he's referring to is sometimes called darnel, sometimes it's called poison ryegrass, and some of your translations of your Bibles, it might even say tares. It's all the same thing. It's a weed, and it's virtually indistinguishable from wheat until it reaches maturity. And you can see on the screen here that even when they reach maturity, they look pretty similar. So have that in your mind as we now look at this story that Jesus is going to tell. So here we go. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So then he left the crowd and went into the house. And now Jesus, we're skipping forward a little bit, is going to explain what this parable is all about privately to the disciples. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so Jesus now is telling this story to help us understand what the kingdom of God is all about. And one of the many things I love about the Gospel of Matthew is that oftentimes Matthew will capture for us the explanation of the parable. Oftentimes it's with the disciples where Jesus privately is telling them, hey, this is what this really means. And so he tells us what all this symbolism means in this, in this story. The, the farmer is Jesus, the field is the world, the good seed are Jesus' followers, people who choose to follow him, as Sean helped us understand and see last week in the parable that preceded this. Weeds are sons of the evil one. These are those folks who do not repent, who do not choose to follow God, to follow Jesus, but choose to stay in their sin or to promote sin and brokenness. The enemy is Satan. The harvest is the end of the age when Jesus comes back a second and final time to complete the kingdom, and the harvesters are the angels. So, what does this tell us about God, about his kingdom, about life in his kingdom? What does this practically mean for you and me? Well, right out of the gate, we see a very important reality that we need to get our hands around, and that is there are two kingdoms that exist side by side. One is a kingdom of blessing, God's kingdom, and one is a kingdom of brokenness, Satan's kingdom. And you know what's missing here? What's missing from this story? Alternatives. You're either in one or the other. That's one of the points of this story. So what is God's kingdom all about? What does it mean to be in God's kingdom? And again, Sean helped us understand some of this last week. But the, the, the kingdom is, in short form, God's people in God's place 
under God's rule and reign. That's the short summation, but a, a longer and I think a better way to understand that in detail is this description we've been using for some time in this series. The kingdom is the Lord's mission to rescue and renew his sin-marred creation, establishing his rule, defeating the human and angelic evil powers, bringing order to all relationships, restoring shalom, the way things God always intended them to be, enacting justice, and being worshiped as both Messiah and Lord. And you can see the scriptural references there that that's drawn from, and this is also captured in your sermon notes. So that's what the kingdom is all about. And this is about God's rescue mission. And again, Sean helped us understand this last week. That whether we see it or not, whether we realize it or not, God is in the process of redeeming and restoring and repairing and renewing this world to what he always intended it to be, a world without sin and selfishness and brokenness and destruction and disease and death and natural disasters. That's why the gospel is good news, is that God is doing something about it. And one of, the, one of the significant zenith points about that is Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, which is what we'll celebrate at Easter here in just a number of weeks. And we'll unpack, okay, many of us are familiar with the resurrection, but do we really understand what it means for us? And one of the things it means is God is bringing and advancing his kingdom. And this is good news because it's not just about you, it's actually about Him. Because sometimes we fall into this trap of empty religion where we think we can be good enough, that good is good enough. We have a culture that constantly tells us that, that if you're a good person, then that's good enough. And the reality is that isn't good enough, that all of us start out in the same place. We're all broken, we're all sinful, we're all selfish people apart from right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do. It's about what He has done for us. And have we responded to that? And, and one of the amazing things about God's love and His grace is that He's not in love with a future version of you and me. He loves us despite our brokenness, despite our selfishness. And that's not a license to live however we want and to continue to live in the evil one's kingdom. That's actually the escape from it because we don't have to earn His love. He gives us his love freely. And then when we respond to that love, we do want to live for him. And we do want to be about his kingdom. Not because we're trying to earn his love, but because we have it. And therefore, we're responding to it. And again, this is a reminder to us, and Gary helped us understand this some weeks ago, that the unforgivable sin that Matthew talks about in chapter 12 and that Jesus steers into is the consistent, persistent, final rejection of God's kingdom by refusing his grace and ultimately by refusing him. So my friends, this begs a question of you and me right out of the gate, and here it is. Which kingdom are you in? Because you're in one or the other. There is no third way. There is no alternative. And if you don't know which kingdom you're in, you're probably in the wrong one and not the kingdom you want to be in or stay in. So have you responded to this invitation of right relationship with God by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by receiving him into your, into your life? Because there's another reality that Jesus makes really clear with this parable. 
In fact, over half his parables talk about this reality, and here it is, that there will be a harvest and there will be a judgment. Jesus is gonna come back. He is going to right all wrongs. He's gonna restore shalom and everything to what it was always intended to be, which has profound implications for you and me. Number one, it means that as good as this life is and as good as this life can be and life can be really, really good, it's gonna get so much better. And that's just an incredible reality for us to hang on to. But it also means that God is going to come and he's going to judge, rightfully so, evil and evil people and people who refuse to repent and refuse to leave their selfishness and their destructiveness. And this is an important reality for us to understand too. It it shapes us in so many ways. And again, it has very practical expression in our relationships. At some point, someone is going to wrong you. Someone is going to hurt you. Someone may likely betray you. Someone is going to misuse you. Someone is going to take advantage of you. Someone may even abuse you. And a number of you have walked those roads. And I sure wish you hadn't have. And everything in us says this is wrong, and it is, and I'm gonna make this right. And there is this propensity, this possibility, this temptation for us to take matters into our own hands. And again, this is, there's so many dimensions to this, and unfortunately, we just don't have time to unpack all of it. But a vivid illustration of the implications of this for Jesus followers really sunk deeply into me many, many years ago. In the 1990s, for those of you who were around and the rest of you have read about it, the Balkans fell apart. And the country known as Yugoslavia absolutely imploded. And there was genocide, and there was atrocities, and it was absolutely horrific. And we were pretty removed from it, but when the, when the media would, repeat, would um, report on it and would, would bring to life some of what was happening there, it was absolutely horrendous. It was horrible. And I'll never forget an interview with this one um, Serbian family who they had been subjected to Relatives killed right in front of them. Relatives raped right in front of them. Their house burned to the ground. I mean, it was just horrific, and it just kept going back and forth from the different people groups there. And I'll never forget the guy saying, you know, everything in me wants me to grab a gun and go kill those who have done this to my family. And understandably so. But he said, but I'm not, and I won't. And he said, because I believe in the reality that there is a God who someday will judge all evil, he will right all wrongs, and he is the one who's going to bring justice. And therefore, I'm not going to take revenge as badly as I want to, but I'm going to choose to trust and believe in that. And the media actually, mainstream media actually picked up that story and ran it, and I, I, I've never forgotten it. I thought that is an application of this for us, is the hope, the reality that God is going to right all wrongs. And again, there's tons of dimensions to this, but we're so quick to take revenge and to take matters into our own hands, but it's not our call. And that's actually another principle in this parable is that it's not our place to condemn people, even people who we think deserve it. That's God's place. You know, you hear this all the time in our culture. Don't judge me, don't judge me. Well, I think oftentimes what people are really saying is don't condemn me. Because as Jesus followers, ironically, we are supposed to judge. Jesus talks very explicitly about that in Matthew 7. 
we're supposed to judge wisely, but we are not supposed to condemn. That's, that's God's place. And so one of the realities that comes with all this is there's a time of waiting. There's a time of waiting for all this to happen. Are you good at waiting? Do you wait well? Will you please disciple me? Because I don't. And I don't like being like that, but I'm just being honest with you. I don't like to wait for things. In fairness, I live in a culture just like you do that has conditioned, conditioned me not to want to wait for anything. I expect things on my timetable, my way, when I want them. And again, it's not the culture's fault. Ultimately, it's my responsibility. But, you know, I, I go across town almost every weekend to, to be with my mom and to see my mom who lives on the west side. She lives 35 miles away. I've been driving and living in Portland for most of my life. I know how to get there. But you know what I do whenever I get in the car? I pull up Google Maps. And why do I do that? Not because I don't know how to get there, but because I want to get there fast. And I don't want to waste my time sitting in traffic. And nine times out of 10, I'm really glad I pulled up maps because nine times out of 10, the way I would normally go, there's a wreck or there's, you know, um, something going on and I don't want to waste my time. And it's just something I think about without really thinking about it. I just do it. And we need to understand and appreciate that Jesus was speaking to people who were longing, waiting pleading for, begging for, desperate for the kingdom of God to come, and they expected it to come right then. And Jesus told them over and over again, you're going to have to wait. I'm bringing the kingdom, but you'll have to wait for the kingdom to come to completion, and that will happen when I come back again. You know, I don't know how many of you have seen this, but I definitely want to endorse it, and that's the Chosen um, series. And you can watch it for free on YouTube. It came out about a year ago. I'm kind of late to the party, evidently. It's been out for a while. I've been watching it the last several weeks with, um, with Jamie, and we absolutely love it. And if we could just be honest, oftentimes, and I'm putting my cards on the table here, Christian movies are so poorly done. The acting's cheesy. The budget's cheap. They're uncompelling. And most of the time, unfortunately, I'm just being honest, that I... Again, here's my waiting, wasting time thing. I just wasted my time. That is not the story with this series. It is extremely well done. And it's fictional history, if you could marry those two together, where they will take passages from the very gospel we're in, from Matthew and the other gospels, and they will help you see what it could have been like when Jesus was teaching these things and when Jesus was revealing the kingdom, it's profoundly powerful. I highly recommend you see it. It's crowdfunded, so they, they made it the way they wanted to make it. It's, it's very biblically accurate and authentic from what I can see, and it's very compelling, and I encourage you to watch it. But in The Chosen, they do a really good job of helping show this expectation for Jesus and Jesus constantly saying, yes, but not yet. And we live in this weird, yes, the kingdom of God has come, but it's also coming. When Jesus comes back a second time, that's when it comes to completion. But so often, we associate waiting with wasting time or doing nothing. And that is absolutely not the case, and that is not the case for us as Jesus followers. 
In fact, Jesus will speak a lot to this. In the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular in Matthew 25, if you want to fast forward to that and read that chapter, he'll give three more stories, three more parables, really, of the reality of why we wait for the kingdom of God, but also how we wait, that we wait with purpose. But the reality is, if you're in the kingdom of God, make friends with waiting as much as we may not like it because it is a reality that we do business with, which means, which infers that we need to learn how to be patient. Here's another question for you. Are you patient? And one of the incredible encouragements about patience is number one, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's an aspect of God working in us and growing us and making us more like Him. In Galatians 5.22, it talks about some of the fruits of the Spirit. For those of you who know that, love, joy, peace. What's the fourth one? Patience. Patience, right? Which is profoundly encouraging for you and me because it means you can do this. It means you can grow in patience. It means you can learn how to be patient. You ask the Lord for it, and you practice it, and he empowers you to do that. But there's also something that's intrinsic in this parable that's lurking within it, and it's this. This parable assumes growth. Did you catch that? As Jesus is explaining it, the, the weeds grow, but so does the wheat. Both grow. So really, when we think about this, the question isn't, are you growing? The question for me isn't, am I growing? The question is, what are you growing? Because the reality of sin is that it never stays the same. Sin always grows. But the counter to that is if we are in the kingdom by knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've received him into our lives, we are going to grow. Have you ever watched wheat or grass grow? Or weeds grow for that matter? If you have, you have too much time on your hands, right? Because it grows so slowly and so incrementally, but it does grow. So again, this takes us back to where Sean took us in the parable that preceded this last week. So how is the soil of your heart? Is it good soil? Do you want to grow? Are you asking God to grow you? Are you open to him growing you, even in the places where you don't want him to? Because again, we're reminded that the root determines the fruit. You're either in one kingdom or the other. You're either growing wheat or you're growing weeds. So Jesus himself said, if you wanted to distill all of the Bible down to two commands, what would they be? And I actually told them to you in highlights because it's what we're supposed to be about as a church and what we want to be about. It's loving God and loving people. So if you want to bottom line this, there's the bottom line for you. Do you love God? Are you growing in your love for God? Do you love people? Are you growing in your love for people? How in the world do you quantify that? 
Are you, am I, more loving than I was a month ago? Am I more loving than I was several months ago? Am I more loving than I was two years ago? It's so difficult to quantify that because, again, I think one of the realities in all this is growth oftentimes, I think most times, is slow and incremental and sometimes indistinguishable, but it does happen. And one of the tools that I use in my own life to try to get my hand around this and my head around this and to try to quantify this is I journal. Not all the time. I go through seasons where it is all the time and other seasons where it's sporadic, but I do that purposefully so I can see how I'm growing because nine times out of ten, I'm too close to it and I can't see it. And then I can go back and see, oh, wow, you know, I am more dependent on the Lord. I am more loving. I am more giving. I am more forgiving. But if I wasn't somehow trying to track that or keep track of that, I, I wouldn't know. And you don't have to write it down. You can verbally journal. You can talk with someone in your life. In fact, here is an action point for you today. I challenge you and encourage you to ask someone close to you today, how am I growing? How do you see me growing? In my love for Jesus, in my love for you, in my love for people. Because we need each other to, to see that kind of growth. But this parable is also profoundly hopeful. Because, again, maybe your experience is like this, maybe it's not, it's definitely my experience, that the times in my life when I experience the most, most growth seem to be the hardest times in my life. It's the times I blow it. It's the times I fall flat on my face. It's the times when my selfishness gets exposed in a way I'd rather it not be. And yet it's precisely during those times that I seem to really accelerate my own growth in the Lord with Him and with other people. And I'm grateful for that because so much of our growth is a long obedience in the same direction as one wise person once said. But also, one of the ways we grow is we, we live out this hope. We have a tangible, real hope. My friends, this is not all there is. And we have to hold on to that. We have to cling to that. As good as life is, it will get better. As awful as life can be, as heartbreaking and difficult as life can be, it will get better. This reality, this hope has sustained Jesus followers like you and me for thousands and thousands of years with this ancient future faith that we all cling to. Jesus is going to come back. He is going to set all wrongs right. He is going to do everything he said he will do because he always keeps his promises. This is the God who always does what he says he will do. He has an absolute 100% peerless unequivocated, unequaled track record of keeping his promises. You can take that to the bank. And so therefore, my friends, if we want to live in the kingdom, if we want to bring the kingdom, then bring and dispense hope. We live in a culture and a world that is desperate for it. You look around at the people in your lives and you look for ways to serve them and to love them. And that's another challenge I have for you and me today is how will you serve someone? How will you love someone around you whether they're in a relationship with you or not? Because you're a person of hope. Because we have to remind ourselves again of what God has done for us and now that brings us back to this story that we started with. 
So my landscaping boss gets this call. He shows up, and yeah, the guy's yard is dying, and yep, someone came in the middle of the night and sprayed Roundup all over it while he was sleeping, not unlike what happened in this parable. That person turned out to be his ex-wife. Yeah. And so here's my landscaping boss and I trying to figure out what in the world do we do. We just felt so bad for this guy that he would do this. And yes, worship team, you can go ahead and come as we prepare to respond in just a minute. So what do we do for this guy? And so he said, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, can we, can we replace his yard for him? And he said, yeah, that's what I was thinking of doing too. I was thinking the same thing. And so my boss goes back to this guy and says, we're gonna replace this for you. And the guy said, well, how much is it gonna cost us? Absolutely nothing. Really? Yeah, really. So I donated my time. My boss bought all the sod. It was thousands of dollars of sod. And we spent days rebuilding this guy's yard. And there was a reason for that. And the reason was this. Because that's a picture of what God had done for my landscaping boss and me and for every single one of us who has recognized and realized and responded to the kingdom. That this amazing God has taken all my selfishness, all my brokenness on himself and through his death, burial, and resurrection, there was an exchange that took place where he takes that and in return he pays the price for it and then gives me the power to live each day, hopefully, for him in his kingdom. Who lives like that? Jesus' followers live like that. Who loves like that? Who does something like that for someone else? Jesus' followers do because that's what's been done for us. That's what God has done for us. So my friends, as we come to communion now, as we prepare to celebrate these realities, communion reminds us of all these realities, a God who would pay the ultimate price with his life, who would take the cost of our sin and our brokenness on himself and in return offer us life and hope and renewal and a future. Communion celebrates and looks to all these realities. So those of you who are with us online, whatever you have nearby, grab that because we're gonna celebrate communion together. For those of you who are here in the auditorium, we have these little packets that you open up and the trick is to not wear your communion as you open it up, but to try to you know, take it in here in just a minute. Because Jesus, on the last night of his life here on earth, before he was to go to the cross for you and me and all who are broken, said this to his disciples while they were eating. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of him. So let's do that together. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So let's drink this blood, this juice, that represents what he has done for us. Lord God, I'm so thankful that you invite us into your kingdom not because you have to, but because you choose to, for your glory and for our joy. 
And again, Lord, I pray that anyone who is listening to this, watching this at any point, who isn't sure if they've entered into your kingdom or knows they haven't, that they would choose to do so by receiving you into their lives as their Lord and Savior. And Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us who do know you, that all over again, you would remind us what we have in you, what you have done for us, what you have saved us from and what you save us to. Lord Jesus, we sing now of your faithfulness because you are faithful. You pursue us with an everlasting love. And so we remember and celebrate that love this morning. And it's in your name we pray. That is life in the kingdom. So are you in it? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There may be some of you here in the room this morning or online who have chosen to do just that this morning. We would love to celebrate that with you and to share in that with you. For those of you online, if you'll go to our website, gracecc.net on that homepage, at the very bottom in the footer is a link for prayer. Would you click on that and just tell us you've made that decision? We would love to celebrate that with you. So as we prepare to go from here and to live in his kingdom, two things once again to leave you with. Ask someone in your life, how am I growing? How am I growing in the kingdom? And secondly, look for the opportunity, if not today, this week, to bring that kingdom by loving someone, by serving someone. And here are some practical ways that we can do that. This is out of the book of Romans in the New Testament. This is chapter 12, starting at verse 9. And basically, he's looking back, the Apostle Paul, on the last 12 chapters that he just wrote and talking about, okay, so now that we're in the kingdom, this is how we respond to what God has done for us and how we live it out with others. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There has got to be something lurking in there for you and me that we can go live out now as we live out this kingdom and what Jesus has done for us. So we pray his blessing over all of us. Lord, thank you for each person in this room, for each person online as we seek you and worship you together. Thank you that you invite us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom you love. And you have given us access and the ability to claim that for ourselves because of what you've done for us. So would we choose to respond to that? Would we remember our identity? Would we remember who you are and who we are? And would we live out your kingdom in a world that so desperately needs it? Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for going with us now through the power of your spirit. 
as we live for you, as we love others the way you have first loved us. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. We hope to get to see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.